your resources have been really valuable in this because the hardest thing I've had to do is to retrieve dates. Because, you know, you remember, I'm not very good at remembering dates anyway, and I, I generally have to connect them to an event to remember the date. So going back through your material that you loaned me, which I'm still working through, <coughs> uh, has been really helpful. I have a whole lot more. <laughs> good, good. Well, I want to start um, talking tonight <coughs> about um, our involvement with the Korean work because it was a, a major work and it, it reflected a philosophy of changes in the way that we had been doing mission work, which I thought was very important. Uh, I kind of went through a period where, or heard about it, you know, where you, when you did mission work, you went into an area, whatever it was, and whatever kind of ethnic people you met, and you tried to convert them to becoming Americans. And, and it didn't work. But it seemed to me very significant that we went to into the Korean work right after the Korean War. And that was such an opportune time because the country was devastated. And it gave an opportunity to help rebuild the country. And in the process of doing that, we did things for the people that really preached the gospel to them in a better way than any sermon could have done, although that was part of it too. Haskell Cheshire, and many of you wouldn't know the name, <clears throat> Haskell went to Korea in uh, 1954. And he went by himself first to get housing and get it set up for his family. And he had a lot of family. Uh, family he ended up with six children and two foster, well, they adopted one Korean boy and then had a foster Korean child. Uh, but Enid came with their family and about, I think, a year after that when things were beginning to move a little bit. And they were in Seoul. And um, there were just a lot of challenges. One was the people were malnourished. Uh, they, uh, tuberculosis was rampant. And, uh, the, I mean, the social issues that they were dealing with were immense in addition to the religious, whole religious aspect of it. <coughs> um, <clears throat> but in just about a year or maybe two years, Haskell started Korean Christian College. And that seemed to be a really good way to reach people that would be coming. They were the citizens of the next generation no 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 he was supported by a number of other congregations no. it was too big for one per one church to do <coughs> was supported by Otter Creek after a few years in Korea and then we took over the support but the church in Washington DC Decatur Street Decatur Street and then, then Wall Street and Dixon joined in. Wasn't there one in Texas? Hmm? One in Texas, wasn't there? Well, there was. Uh, well, eventually <coughs> they were all over because mm -hmm. we actually set up an office. You remember Dr. Rogers? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that wasn't, that just, that was, the reason I know it's because I've been really involved in that, 
Uh, it wasn't just Haskell, though. There were, there were other missionaries, yeah. There, there were 160 congregations sending yeah. money to Otter Creek for yeah. KCU yeah. and supporting missionaries, oh, wow. and over 500 donors. And so Otter Creek clearly had a leadership role in this. Yes. We, yeah. we actually <coughs> had the office for yeah. all, all of this, kept the books. Thank my wife, worked part time as the bookkeeper. I'll talk about some of the people involved in that in, in just a few minutes. But, um, yes, uh, one of the things that we did, uh, we, we needed a vehicle to um, tell a story. <clears throat> so we um, had some money donated and we made a film. And it was professionally made and technically very good, very impressive film. And a number of us carried the film out to churches particularly on Sunday nights, and we'd show the film and talk a little bit about the work in order to raise money. Uh, we went about every other Sunday night for a long time with that film. And interestingly enough, just about, um, oh, it was back in the winter sometime, the archivist at the library at Lipscomb called me and said, Carolyn, do you know anything about a Korean film? And I said, yes. And she said, well, a researcher from Abilene is trying to find the film. That's the one I talked to you about, Steve. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's still being used in some way and, and documented, which I thought was just a marvelous thing that I wasn't even sure it still existed. Yeah, and I actually have a digital copy of it. <laughs> um, Dick Brackett, who um, <clears throat> at that time was, a, uh, was involved in television, and he gave his services to help produce and to narrate that film. <coughs> Were there many, if, if any, Korean War veterans at, at Otter Creek? Uh, at this time? I don't know. Do you know, Sandy? No. I, I have Yes, it was. It was. There were some here, but were they? Yeah, but no more than normal. You might find in a group. But that, that, that organization didn't really, even though it got started, as I understand it, it got started in Korea by, by the, the uh, army people who were stationed there and saw the need to have a church, and then that led to the whole program. Leland Dunner was in the Judge Advocate General Corps. Yeah. He was stationed in Korea part of the time, I think. He was not a member here. <coughs> His family had been members at Otter Creek back in the 40s. Um, I wanted to say something about some of the people that were, were so involved in the work, like Dr. Rogers and some of those. But one of the things, and I was fuzzy about this, Sandy, and I looked it up in Haskell's information and put some pieces together that helped me a lot in this. But Haskell had a son-in-law who was a veterinarian. Yeah, and Alan. Alan, mm -hmm. and uh, yes, and the needs were so great for food and and a way to get the people healthy again, and the son-in-law made the suggestion that they buy cattle and have them shipped over, and that way they would have milk and and uh, they could do a lot with it, and it began a dairy industry. And actually. The cows for Korea, they actually uh, got farmers and other people to donate bread heifers. So 
so that when they got there, they had two. And I remember very well him in high school going. And he, he was the kind of guy that went all over. Out in the small congregations <coughs> and everywhere and got people. I remember John Rucker talking about that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Sid Allen died two weeks ago. I didn't know that. Really? You know, I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, I did. Well, John was one of the prime movers in the Korean work. He and and uh, and Dr. Rogers, Thomas Rogers, um, Dr. Rogers was um, a, a professor. He had been at the University of Chicago, taught at Lipscomb, and he was a brilliant man. And um, he was very much involved in the Korean work. Went over that. Well, he and John took a trip to Korea once maybe more than once. I, I remember one time they went. Um, and just for the record, because uh, this was not necessarily a part of the Korean work, but it's a part of who we are and, and what we do at times when, we, when a problem comes. Dr. Rogers had a heart attack read, leading prayer in our worship service on a Sunday morning. And it was a very traumatic thing. My children were little. And he just, he was in the middle of his prayer and he just collapsed. And thankfully, we had doctors in the audience. Uh, Billy Gall was there and he was a trauma uh, physician. And Dr. Gray, who was on the board at Lipscomb, I recall, was there and he was a cardiologist. So they worked with him. But Buddy came up to the pulpit as calm as he could be and started singing. And the church joined in and we just sang while they worked on Dr. Rogers, finally the ambulance came and they, they took him out and they took, Ms. some people went with Miss Rogers and Carolyn. Uh, but that was the most impressive thing. And I remember Ms. Rogers talking to me about it and one of the things that bothered her, she was so concerned that it would be a frightening thing for the children in the church that saw that. And I told her that I, for my children, it was rather an amazing experience. And, and they saw the positive, I mean, it was tragic that he died, but they saw the positive part of it and they saw the people responding. And I, th I just felt like it was a wonderful experience to be a part of, to, to, that we did what we did. And you know, it was quiet and it was orderly. There was no panic. I, I think some people were sobbing a little bit quietly, but, um, but Dr. Rogers was just an amazing man, just an amazing man. He talked on a level that was so far ahead of you sometimes. You had a little bit of trouble reaching his train of thought. Yeah, his vocabulary. His vocabulary, yes. I think Carolyn told me that he had something to do with the beginnings of Social Security. Yeah, he did. Okay. I'd never heard that. I, always, I think this is true, that he was in line to be appointed the next chairman of the Federal Reserve Board oh, wow. when the president died <clears throat> appointed him or something. He never made it quite that far, but he, he made it some very responsible situation. He was an economist. Yeah. Uh, another family that was very much involved in the Korean work was um, Carolyn and Frank Maddox. And um, that's a, another notable family in the line of great people. When I first started thinking about the people I wanted to talk about, 
I was making lists and you know and what did this person do and what did this person do and I I categorized some early ones I put I identified them as movers and shakers and then I needed another caption and so I called them uh, pilgrims and encouragers and <laughs> added some other headings to it but somewhere along the way they all merged together a little bit so it didn't work as well as I thought except just to help my memory uh, a little bit. Charlie Brandon was, he was one of those who made the trip over there uh, and Clarence Shaw Clarence, and Clarence I, I, went over and built housing for the I remember so. I remember Clarence went. Houston, well, of course. I'm focusing on Otter Creek people. Well, and the reason I say that is because Doug Sanders is his grandson. Yeah. Went over oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. He, I've forgotten that. Yeah. <laughs> I first got introduced to mission work when John Rucker called me one day. I hadn't been here that long. He said, I want you to go to Dixon with me tonight. And they were, he and Houston Uzale were going to Walnut Street to make a presentation to get Walnut Street to come in and be one of the supporting churches. And so he he just took me along because he knew I'd never, you know, I'd been involved in mission work or anything. And that got me started being involved. So I went with them down to Dixon and they did, of course, the presentation. I was just watching. Well, there were a lot of people involved in it. And, and you know, I'm sure there's some I can't even remember, but it was a large work. It it yep. could not have been done had it not been a large <coughs> work. And I did want to say something about Frank and Carolyn because they were among the great people in this congregation. Um, fr when we first came, Frank was married to his first wife, Catherine. Catherine died very young with cancer. She was about early 40s, I believe. She was Jennifer's first Sunday school teacher. And Jenny was too young to probably go to class, but we didn't have anything else to do with her, and so Catherine took her anyway. She was a lovely, lovely woman, a fine woman. And when she died, they had they left three sons. Carolyn was married to Vardaman Forrester, who was a professor at Lipscomb, and Vardaman died very suddenly. They had five children, and Carolyn and Frank married a few years later and blended their family, and they had eight children seven boys and one female. Someone asked Frank, when did it occur to you that you might marry Kat, uh, Carolyn Forrester? He said, at her, at Barnum's funeral. <laughs> Frank, Frank was always very honest and open. He said just what he thought when he thought it. <laughs> but uh, I particularly, and this is a, this is a personal thing, but I have so many of these that kind of cropped up when I thought about it. Their um, one daughter and my youngest daughter have been best friends since they were about three years old, I guess. And um, when, and, and they were always together. When uh, Larry was in the hospital for his chemo, he was in the hospital nearly eight weeks. And I was trying to hold a little bit onto my job and take care of my family and go back and forth to the hospital. He was in quarantine, nobody could go in but, but me and the doctors. And um, it was a bit of a juggling act. And Carolyn and Frank came over one night and Carolyn said, well, we're just gonna take Alyssa. 
And I said, uh, well, I'd give her to you sometimes. <laughs> but she said, no, said, I know you're really struggling with what you're having to deal with. And they're together anyway all the time. And they do the same things. And we'd be taking Valley, and we'd probably come back and take Alyssa, or you'd be taking both of them. But right now, during this period, we want to lift this off of you. And so we'll just take care of Alyssa. Well, my family got mad because they thought they were, my mother and sister thought they were the ones that should do it, but she didn't want to go with them. She wanted to stay with Valley. <laughs> but that was such a, a, it was a gift I'll never forget. And it meant so much to me to, to, to be relieved of knowing that she was gonna be okay and I didn't have to worry about it. And, and um, but they did that with, that was their life. They, they were that kind of people. And, and there's probably hundreds and hundreds of examples just like that of, of Carolyn and, and, and Frank ministering to the people in this church. So I particularly wanted to mention those especially. Uh, the Huffs were also involved in the Korean work as they were in a lot of other things. And I mentioned them last week. And Clarence uh, Schaub. Um, Kennedy and Willene Green were people that I particularly wanted to mention also. Kennedy was one of our elders, as was Frank. Uh, Kennedy, when, we, when Larry was made deacon, Larry worked under Kennedy as, as he was his elder and supervisor. Uh, and Larry probably needed some supervising <laughs> at times. <laughs> but they were both interested in the educational work and they worked very closely together. And Kennedy was a strong man, a very strong man, and a very wise man. And I think he, Kennedy had five daughters, but Larry was almost like a son to Kennedy uh, during the years that, that he was alive. He and Willene were just like gold in this church. Uh, Kennedy was a New York Life ex Insurance executive. He advised us financially on things as well as spiritually. And I, Larry came home one night at, that had an elders and deacons meeting and he was chuckling and I said, well, what was funny? And Larry always told me that after he became an elder that he would not tell me what went on in the meetings. That um, if somebody asked me about something that was tricky, um, I would be better off saying I don't know. He broke that once, he just had to. And the interesting thing about the situation where he did break down and talk to me about it because he couldn't carry it by himself. I was with some of the other elders' wives shortly after that, and they started telling me about everything that went on in that meeting. And they were surprised that I didn't know. <laughs> but. Um, Kennedy, had, they'd, he'd walked out that night with Larry and somebody else, I think it was Dan Backus, uh, walked out of the building and they were, it apparently had been a rather heated meeting and, and rather caused, it got substantial discussion in a lot of different ways. And so they were talking about it going out and Kennedy turned and looked at them and he said, boys, this church stuff will drive you crazy if you let it. <laughs> <laughs> I've always, that was so characteristic of Kennedy, but that was, um, 
you know, it's something that really impressed Larry. I think it, it, it enabled him to sleep that night, at least. Um, Carl and Helen Watts. Carl was one of our deacons, and Carl was an optometrist, and uh, Carl was very involved. And, and I would note that we had so many people that might not have been on committees or, or elders or deacons, although some of them were, who gave so generously of their resources to this church. And we couldn't have done a lot of the things that we did had we not had a lot of this financial background that we had, like Doyle Gall and, um, and many, many others who had it to give and were glad to give it. And, and most of them didn't want anybody to know it. They just did it. And Carl and Helen were always very generous. They were very hospitable. Um, I'm getting off the Korean work and I need to get back. Um, Haskell had serious health problems and had to come home. And it was necessary to find someone particularly, the most urgent thing was to take over the Christian, Korean Christian College. And Dan Harden, who had taught at Lipscomb at one time, and his wife Joyce really had had a heart for mission work. And Dan was qualified to be an administrator and to be an effective college president. And so they went to take over Korean Christian College and were there for a number of years. I tried to find it. One, I was trying to see if they were still alive. I think they are. Joyce is Dan's daughter. Oh, Dan's dad, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I talk to Joyce almost weekly. Okay, well, I, I couldn't find that. I tried and tried and could. If I'd gone to the archives at school, I could have found it, but. She's in Austin. She's still in Austin, okay. That was the last address I had for them, was Austin. But they were very effective because um, they really integrated themselves into the culture of the people and, and even became well-known with the Korean government uh, and were just really invaluable in the work that they did. Dan had rheumatoid arthritis, am I correct? In, remembering that, and it, it was getting very difficult for him, and he had to come, he had to leave. But by that time, the school was self-sufficient, and they had Korean people who could take over it, and that was really what we had worked for, was for the Koreans to, to handle their own work. So if you get a mission work, and you get at the point where you can do that and turn it over to the people, that's the best possible solution. That's the way it ought to be done. And, and it was something that we did extraordinarily well, I thought. Can I mention just a couple mm -hmm. things on that yeah. that I think are so fascinating? I mean, this is 1958 through 60s. Otter Creek actually received money and supported the KCU. I think in 1983, we were still handling 75% of the, the support that went to that university. And there were 160 congregations that sent money to Otter Creek. And that was a time when churches didn't cooperate with each other. I, I mean, that has says something about the leadership of this church and the ability to convince. And I mean, it was conservative, <coughs> what they would call liberal at that time and, and everything. But they just, uh, for that many years, they actually, um, were the foundations for making sure that that university stayed alive and they also 
since they had the avenues for supporting missionaries over there to give money to them, they received it. Well, I think we were always committed to it, just as we were to Agape. And that, that's what made the difference. You know, a lot of people get really frustrated, as I don't have to tell you this, with mission work. And it, it's, it's, it used to be very common to just drop it suddenly with the poor people stranded and no way to get home and no funds. But we were always committed to doing this, and we were committed to doing it as well as we could. And I think we did. You might it's, give an update on uh, Joyce and the work that you and Joyce have done more currently with the, just kind of a brief update. I, I don't know whether you condense it enough or not. But. Uh, well, it's uh, Korea, the, the, and it's interesting because I don't think it's any different from some of the things that happened here. You know, colleges kind of went through using ministers as presidents, and then they went to uh, business, and then they went to lawyers, and, and there were all these kinds of turmoil and everything. Talking about Lipscomb, are you talking about? I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about almost every single Christian college, even outside of our, I mean, it was just kind of the trajectory of it. Um, but it's still struggling. They, they have right now 1,500 students, and uh, Joyce and I were on the board for three years. Uh, interestingly enough, there was a big fight about <coughs> And the reason we got involved was because of James Kim, who was uh, heavily involved in KCU for many years, and wanted us to get involved because we, I think, legitimately have a right to be called the founders of KCU. And founder means something very different than what it does here. Founder means we have a say in what can happen and how the school should be run. Uh, but some of the Haskell, uh, well, one of the Haskell family contested that, and there were some, several Koreans who I believe really want to see it fail because it's a billion dollars worth of land right now, and they would benefit greatly if they could have it fail. So they contested that by saying that Haskell was the founder, even though we were actually supporting him, and, and most of that, almost all of the money that was raised for the school came through us. But um, we're now in a process of waiting to see what the Ministry of Education is going to do because uh, I went off, Joyce and I went off the board in October and the board has been non-functional since then. So mm. we're just kind of Does the Ministry of Education have the power, if you will, to shut it down? They don't have it. I don't think they have the power to shut it down. They can sanction it so it gets less and less students. Uh, but the biggest issue there is the, uh, the fact that the board is, uh, it's a long, long story, but the man who's running the board right now is a crook and um, has done things independently which are illegal and the board is non-functional. So, um, the, the, the Ministry of Education can intervene and appoint a board for, say, a year or two and try to get it back on its feet, but they can't take it over. Okay. So, so, but, I mean, these, these kinds of issues with, the, the biggest issue with KCU was the fact that the churches never grew. They're still very small in Korea. 
and there just wasn't enough good leadership to of that level. I mean, you know, like Lipscomb and Harding and all of those, you had the church growing, uh, businessmen and other lawyers and everything else, and one of the biggest mistakes that they made with Korea is when I went on the board, almost all of the board were preachers. And you cannot run a university with a board of preachers. It's a, it's a disaster. And, uh, but they just didn't have enough people in Korea because a lot of them actually, the ones who were really capable migrated to the United States. So yeah, there's a lot of multiple issues. But. but in an Asian country, also, you have very few Christians. How, how many people? In Except for Korea. Korea is how, is it one of those that has high? It's about 27% of the population, although now it's, uh, they're, they're having, they're struggling with that. Mainly because it's taken on a, it's an evangelical movement. I mean, some of the biggest churches in the world were in Korea. Yeah. Uh, but there's also been a lot of, um, leaders who have fallen and, and created a lot of disillusionment uh, there too, so. It's, uh, it's still a powerhouse. I mean, almost any country you go to in the world, there'll be Korean missionaries there. So. Well, there's frustrations with all, all the things we do at times. It's always a struggle. It's always a struggle. It never fails, every generation. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to go back to some some of the other people because I don't want to forget some of these names of people that have been uh, very instrumental in making this church what it is. And we were talking about Agape, and we did talk about Howard and Zona. Just we talked about Howard, uh, but I think we ought to talk about Zona too because she was quite a forceful lady. She was um, uh, a very bright woman, and uh, Howard. She and Howard complemented one another so well in personality and in the way they worked. Uh, and she was a part of what was going on with, with this, our, our going into the social services areas. Um, I used to take Zona to ladies' Bible class. And um, Zona was a very simple person. She was not entranced at all or could see no need for luxuries. And um, when we would um, go ride back and forth and we'd talk you know, generally about things and their families and so forth. And she always had interesting comments to make about uh, if, if somebody said, wonder what, how much that dress cost that somebody had on. And so it would say, too much. <laughs> But she was uh, she was an amazing lady and and read everything yes. and could talk could converse with you on any level about anything. Uh, when we had symphony tickets and couldn't go, we would always see if Zona and Howard could go, and they just loved going to the symphony. And I think a few times that we were just tired, we just let them have our tickets because they enjoyed it so much. Just curious, was her all real? I don't know. My Do you know Sandy? My grandmother on my mother's side was her. Her uh, name was Arizona. I never heard anything she except was born Zona. Here, Arizona was admitted to the union, and everyone called her Zona. 
don't have anything on that. Um, she, she said that she never knew who would be at the kitchen table. And she said, I wouldn't say it aloud, but I would think, who are all these crummy people? <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't know who was going to spend the night. She didn't know who, what people he was going to bring with. I did want to say something, too, about Oliver and Betty Yates, because uh, even though... Um, their first first Betty Yates, even though they're no longer, they're both deceased, and they, uh, in the latter years, were not part of the congregation here. But they put a lot of work into a lot of our activity, particularly agape, during the years that they were here. And um, Oliver was—he never did anything halfway. When he got into it, it was all or nothing. And, and he was behind the inner city ministry work, and he had a, a real sense for service. He got an award, I read, for saving Radnor Lake. He did. Uh, when it was going to be bought and developed with, with a, you know. By the railroad. Yeah. yeah. And well, the railroad owned it to begin with. It's going to be developed by others. The whole thing bought it. I, I don't have that down, <laughs> but um, he he gave an ecological argument, yeah. and the state understood what he was saying. Mm -hmm. We're not going to develop it. Um, Can I tell just one more story about KCU that I think is really fascinating? We'll allow that. Mark Hamilton is at Abilene. He and his wife were here for summer celebration. I think it was the year, I don't know if it was summer celebration, yeah, it was Lipscomb summer celebration. And they went to a garage, or a, uh, not a garage sale, what's the other? Estate uh, sale. Yeah, an estate sale. And they found a bunch of boxes and they, those were Korean Christian University boxes that were gonna get thrown away. And apparently the estate sale was at Carolyn Wilson's. Carolyn Rogers. Rogers. Carolyn Rogers. Had four or five estate sales. And so we have half of all of those documents. Abilene's got the other half. But what are the chances that they would come and visit Nashville <laughs> and see those boxes and take them back to Abilene? Oh, wow. So I, that, that's a fascinating. That's almost a God thing. I no, don't know what no else. No telling what all got away because she saved one or two of everything. She was yeah, a bit of a hoarder. You know that. A bit. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to Yeah. Well, that was, uh, I, it, that reminded me of of another one with Ke about Carol Ellis because um, and I'm going to talk about Carol if I don't get to it tonight I will next time about because I, I have a section on our preachers and then also and I guess this will be next week too I have I want to consolidate um, talking a little bit about um, issues that came up that we resolved that that were 
rather groundbreaking, many of them, and, and how some of them, how we resolve them. But um, when Carol died, the kids came and, and were cleaning out his house, and, and Carol and Toddy were both kind of hoarders. But David Hamrick, who was on the Lipscomb faculty, lived next to them, and, and, and David and Leah, who worked for me, really took care of Carol his last years. In fact, D David was the one that found, went in the morning to check on him and found that he had died. But um, th they were just throwing things away just indiscriminately. And David, <laughs> David Hamrick came and told Leah, said, you know, there's a lot of brother Dr. Ellis's sermons and they're throwing all those things out. And David went and got in the dumpster, stood in, <laughs> stood in the middle of the dumpster and fished them all out. <laughs> So as a result, we have those in the archives at Lipscomb. And, and, you know, people don't value that kind of thing. But um, thankfully, sometimes things happen and you can retrieve some that would be lost. Um, back to the people. I, I want to get all these people in that I feel strongly about. Howard and Gussie Hackney. I talked about Gussie in the kindergarten. Well, I'll send you something. And um, Howard was one of our elders when we came. Howard owned an appliance store. And Howard was the sweetest man. He just, he was quiet. Um, he was very wise, but he had an innate sweetness about him that you always felt. And Larry said toward the end of his life that when he'd come into church, Howard would come up and he'd put his arm around him and he would kiss him on the cheek. And he, Larry teared up every time he did that. He said it was such a beautiful, loving gesture um, for a man to do for a man. And, you know, we we kind of afraid to do that kind of thing now. But it was a natural impulse for Howard to do that with Larry. And it really meant a lot to him. Um, he, and he was a good elder. He was a very good elder. Um, Paul and Mary Louise Swindale. And that, that's an example, you, you remember. I remember all these people. Good. Um, Paul, no, he was a small Paul and, and uh, I think Paul was a deacon, but Paul was always into a lot of things. But he was an electrical contractor. And um, he was one of those people that just always was here at the church doing something that needed to be done, like Charlie. Um, and he and Larry would come in on Saturdays and they'd wire something up and they'd put the sound system in and, and things like that. It was, it was so rare that this church paid for a lot of things that needed to be done because so many people here had the expertise to do it and gave of their expertise, which was in itself something that was very valuable. And, and Paul and Mary Louise were a pair of those. They were also a couple that were always so very hospitable. In fact, Everybody was hospitable, but they particularly were. They have grandchildren here, don't they? Yeah. Uh, Bob yeah. is at uh, Harker Mills. But, but, but Bob, Rob and Nancy are here. They're here. They're Bob's children. Yeah. yeah. Can I tell a little Paul Swindell story? Mm -hmm. I was president of the hobby shop, youth hobby shop, in 1982. And during that time, the summer camp was out on the north end of Davidson County. There was a boy out there who was on the drugs, and they called him Johnny Wild Boy. And he, he came one night and uh, 
stripped all the uh, electrical work out of the summer camp, uh, out of the building, and sold sold the copper for you know for money. Paul went out personally and got on the ladder and replaced all that. Just no cost, no charge, generous. Mm -hmm. She died of the quick kind of ALS, not the kind Wayne had. I'd forgotten that she did have ALS. Well, they were wonderful people. Uh, Frank and Martha Gower were some of the older people that were here when we came. Uh, Frank was an architect, and they had um, they had been here. They'd been with Otter Creek as a congregation for a long time. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly how this happened, but a number of the people that were had come just before we came, and and it was it was quite a sizable number of families that came, came from the Harding Place Church. And I can't remember what happened to Harding Place, but it folded, I think. It just, did, were you at Harding Place before you came here? I, no? Well, I wasn't, but I came about the same about time. same time. Martha and Charlie. I heard all about it. Martha and Charlie. Brookmead, was that? No, this no, is Harding Place. It's where Harding Academy is now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But Martha and Charlie were among those, and I think Doyle and Rennell. Doyle, uh, um, Brandon, I think the Armstrongs were. Yeah, I, th I think they were too. Oh, that was before I I think they were. Is that West? West. Harding Academy, that's... It's an elementary and high school. Uh, but I think there were maybe 10 or 12 families. Uh, Imogene and Henry Fort were among those. And um, probably some I'd have to go down the name, the directory to remember all of them, but it was a substantial number of people. And it was a group of people that contributed very substantially. And those were highly professional folks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I have this much on the forts. Uh, that I gave it to you. Um, I was, their daughter Cherry died this week. Her funeral was this afternoon. Um, I wanted to mention Jimmy and Lillian Baker. Jimmy was our church treasurer. And he was a good one. He, he knew how to manage the money. <laughs> and, and Lillian was a fine Southern lady. Everything was just the nicest when Lillian did it. Um, they had two sons, and they loved Otter Creek. They, they had a great love for Otter Creek. And Jimmy, um, Jimmy and Larry, Larry used to go in when he finished his, Larry would always be sure all the classes were in place and so forth, and then he'd roam around. And he'd go in and help Jimmy count the money after the contribution. And after Larry got sick, one day he said, Jimmy said, son, I don't know what I can do for you. And I don't have anything that I've done right well. 
And if there's anything money can do for you, you've got it. And that's a, that was a strange thing to offer, but that's what he had to offer. And he was willing to, to do that. He said, if there's anything I can buy that would get you well, I'd give you whatever I have. And um, they, were, they were very generous people and they were staunch members. They were just people you could always depend on. They were always here. Jimmy was a deacon and, um, and, and wonderful people that I have such great memories of. Uh, Jack and Virginia Carnes. Virginia taught at the kindergarten. Jack was an automobile mechanic and Jack probably worked on everybody's cars. He made house calls, didn't he? Yes, he did for us. He did for us. And if anything needed fixing at the church, Jack was out here working on it and seeing to it that it was fixed. And he was always doing something for the kindergarten. Always for the kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Playing mm -hmm. around the equipment, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. he, could, he could do anything. One day I, I noticed Wayne had struggling to get down the hall for a class. And I said to Jack, if you could make a railing, I'll pay for it. And the next Sunday, was, there was a beautiful railing on the wall, all sanded, varnished. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, she, her memorial service was about a month ago. Virginia's, yeah. Virginia's, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Sam and Margaret Roper. Uh, Sam was uh, a printer, owned a printing business. And I'll never forget Margaret. Margaret, she was a crafty person. She did crafts. And she would come to the kindergarten or to the um, Sunday school classes and, and do craft work with the children. She just loved to do it. I cleaned out a closet once and everything in there was crafts that my girls had made that Margaret had supervised and somehow they didn't want to do away with them and they were stored somewhere and and uh, when she went to um, uh, the retirement facility where Ann Cullum was Margaret was was it Morningside it, it, it was it was one of the ones out there in that area it was on Cool Springs Boulevard well uh, Margaret was there and she lived to be 90, up in the mid-90s. And she was still, she'd still go down with the elderly people and Madison. teach them how to do crafts. Well, and she lived down on Duncanwood and she invited my daughters and uh, the Meyer daughters and maybe some others on Saturday mornings to come down and, and bring some of those items that she used to make crafts with. So she... My girls did that too. Jenny was not into it as much as Alyssa was. Alyssa went because everybody else was going. I don't know how much she was into it, but she went. <laughs> but um, she was, Margaret was never idle. She always had something going on to do. And, and she would uh, make curtains and things for the kindergarten and for, for here if there was a need for that kind of thing. Very, very, um, a woman that just had to be doing something all the time. My memory of Virginia Carnes was that I was in there one time when she was pouring, <laughs> pouring back into a container the leftover milk in each kid's little, <laughs> and she would take it home and boil it and use it for cornbread or whatever. Mm -hmm. She didn't throw anything wow. away. 
Charlie and Margaret Williams, I, I think a lot of people don't remember Charlie and, and Margaret. Uh, Charlie was a part owner of Williams Surgical Supply, and uh, they were here for a very, for quite a substantial period of time. And Margaret died while they were here. She had cancer, had a very long battle with cancer. And um, after Margaret's death, Charlie married Nika mm -hmm. Stevens, now Stevens, and um, and they. Went, started going, I think, to Harpeth Hills to, to church after he married Nika. But uh, Charlie was one of those who was such a strong giver. Uh, he was a good businessman and, and had done very well, and, and he was always very generous to the church. And this church meant a lot to them. I was, uh, in all the years that I taught ladies' Bible class before pa Sandy came and took it over. <laughs> well, it, things that worked really well because Sandy and Sandy and Gail came along just about the time I started graduate school, so that was a good thing. Um, but uh, Margaret was a very lovely, lovely lady, and Charlie was full of good common sense wisdom, always a good advisor in, in terms of business affairs. You you remember them, don't you, Bob? Yeah. yeah. And I'm getting close to being at the end, and I don't know which one to, to, oh, uh, I, I, I need to, I want to get them in, and they were not here very long, but uh, Doug and Nell Davis, I think, were people that did contribute a lot to this church while they were, while they were here. Doug preached for us at times, quite often as fill in between others. Anytime you'd let him. Yeah, anytime you'd let him. But he was a good he was a good communicator. He really was. Yes. I mean, he, Doug could say things so well, and there were a number of times I remember when we wanted to get a public announcement to the congregation, and Doug could do it and make it very effective when it would have taken somebody else a long time to explain it. Um, he they had uh, lived a lot of different places, including Hawaii, and Doug was an interesting personality, but they. They had a good, good, profitable time period with Otter Creek and made some very good contributions while they were here. Doug was a, a good teacher as well as as speaker. And Nell was our bookkeeper for Nell, years. Nell worked in the office as our bookkeeper for I all the time. I about this much on him. I couldn't even find an obituary for her except when she, when she died, period. So I have nothing. I went to her service. I don't have anything. I might, have anything. I might find that. I'll look for it. Um, Nell had been sick for such a long time. One of the apocryphal stories about Doug is that he sold Elvis Presley his first suit of clothing <laughs> in Tupelo. <laughs> he told that story about every other sermon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good story. It was in one of our trivia uh, question books. <laughs> and of course, I, among all this cloud of witnesses too, David and Eileen, because they were here very early and were in and out with us for a very long time. And of course, all of you will remember David. So um, then John and Eva Carruthers, they, and John and Eva came a little bit later uh, and John was uh, a memorable person, and you know, 
you, most of you would have known of Miss Eva if you didn't know her. Eva taught in her kindergarten. Uh, John was an administrator at, he came when TSU and U, University of Tennessee merged. And then later, um, he was commissioner of economic and community development for the state. Uh, amazing man, uh, big presence, uh, and big, big in size and a big presence in just every way. Uh, when John, affectionately known as Big John, Big John, John and Larry came into the eldership at the same time, and they tagged them the new left. <laughs> John Crothers said his boys were just fighting in the car on the way to church. And they sat there and witnessed Brother Rogers die on the stage. And John thought to himself, well, it'll be a quieter trip home than it was coming. <laughs> he said, the minute they got in that car, they were at each other again. <laughs> well, maybe that's the difference in boys and girls. <laughs> Um, let me see who I've forgotten. Um, Has Charlie been just, did you all tell about Charlie? Yeah. Quite. There's a pillar right there. You need to have a chapter on. Bob. Bob. Well, we're only, we're only discussing people that are no longer no, with us. Write down a lot of stuff before you go. <laughs> 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 uh, Paul, Paul and Lola Stinson would certainly deserve, of course Lola's still with us, uh, Paul is not, but <coughs> they are among the strengths of the church during the time that they were, they were with us. Paul was a sweet, sweet good man. Paul, Paul Mr. Mom, uh, when the Greyhound bus driver Dress people told him that he could not drive a bus anymore and probably should, should, that the, should never do any physical work anymore. He stayed home. She went to work. He raised the three children. Yeah. Paul, young Paul was Larry's student at Vanderbilt. 